Welcome to today's episode, which will likely deal with some dark topics and sometimes sweary words, so listener discretion is always advised. For ad-free and bonus episodes, click in the link in the show notes for exclusive content. You can support the show at buymeacoffee.com or by giving me a rate, writing a review, or subscribing to future episodes. And with all my marketing blah 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 out of the way, on with the show. A Million Other Choices is a true crime podcast, and as such, we do discuss some dark topics that might be triggering for some. As you are a true crime listener, I support you in your curiosity. However, having lost a family member to homicide, my message is always to remember not just the victims, but the families and friends left behind, and also the officers, detectives, and prosecutors that work tirelessly for justice. There are links to make monetary donations in the show notes, but more importantly, if you enjoy the podcast, please tell your friends and press that fifth star on your listening platform to help me grow the show. I hope you enjoy the following episode. Hello, my partners in criminal fascination. Welcome to yet another episode. Today's a rough one. I mean, I know they're all rough, but this one is just kind of tough because it could really be any of us that it happens to. You might have noticed that I don't do serial killers, gang violence, or any homicides where you can kind of see it coming in someone. My fascination lies in the stories that start with, I would have never thought he or she was capable of such a thing. And this is definitely one of those cases. This is the murder of Meryl Gleddy and Dave Rogers. Meryl Gleddy was born in Claire's home, Alberta, in 1953. Her parents, Claire and Violet Gleddy, had four children, and Meryl was the eldest and the only girl. As an Air Force child, she attended schools kind of all over, including France, Regina, Moose Jaw, and Germany. She graduated from Brookfield High School in Ottawa in 1973. In 1973, she was a second lieutenant, and she accidentally became one of the first women in Canada to complete full combat training when she was accidentally placed in an all-male qualifying course in Wainwright, Alberta. She was quoted in an article in 2009 as saying, And there I was for the entire summer, learning to throw hand grenades, shoot with my FN1 and my FN2 rifles, my submachine gun and pistol, and learning how to become a platoon commander. After graduating from the University of Ottawa with a degree in linguistics, she started working for the federal government in the Human Resources and Skills Development Department. She retired in 2012. Dave Rogers was an only child born in Ottawa in 1947 to Stuart and Irene Rogers. He also graduated from Brookfield High School and went on to attend Carleton University where he graduated with degrees in both political science and journalism. He then began to work at McLean Hunter in Toronto and then returned to Ottawa to work with the Ottawa Citizen, a job that he loved and stayed with for 37 years. 
Dave was a general assignment reporter, so he reported on elections, drug raids, and murder trials, including on a Gatineau citizen who used a teddy bear as a ruse to use the carpool lane. He was described as cheerful and mild-mannered, taking notes in shorthand, with a pencil always perched behind one ear. Merrill and Dave met at the Ottawa Cycling Club and married in 1982 in a small intimate ceremony with her brother Graham as organist. They shared many interests and passions including cycling, traveling, skiing, and gardening. They settled into a cozy Carlton Heights home in Ottawa. They adopted and lived an active and healthy lifestyle, but the one thing missing was a child for them to pour their love, joy, and time into. In 1994, when Dave Rogers was 47, they adopted a newborn baby and called him Cameron, and Cameron became the center of their lives. They devoted themselves to this little precious bundle of joy. Merrill and Dave were focused on Cameron, and Merrill, according to Graham Gleddy, Merrill's younger brother who spoke to the Ottawa citizen, said that she loved putting him on a pedestal. Quote, Merrill and Dave were the two people on this earth who bent over backwards to help him, day after day after day. End quote. As a child, it started to become clear that Cameron had some issues and was struggling in school. To combat and work with Cameron's issues, they provided a very structured environment and tutors. He had a strict and quite early bedtime and was not allowed junk food. In fact, in 2012, Merrill advocated for healthier snacks in the school vending machines because of the effect she felt the unhealthy options were having on her son. Cameron was also on a gluten-free diet. So food was a source of tension in the family, and when left unattended, he would sneak snacks. One time on a ski trip, Cameron ate an entire table full of snacks that had been spread out for the family gathering before anyone had even approached the table. One of Dave's co-workers, Scott Parker, who also had a son with a disability, said, quote, He had the right approach to looking after a child like this. He was so patient and understanding. I don't remember Dave ever getting very upset about anything. Dave did want to make a difference in his kid's life, and he was clearly thankful to be a father, end quote. Cameron also enjoyed a pretty good lifestyle, and was taken on family vacations to sunny beach locations and to Europe. He was also a certified lifeguard and volunteered as a camp counselor, and took up soccer as a goalie, a role that he did very well in but lost interest quickly. Merrill's brother admitted that while Merrill would talk about Cameron's achievements, she was quite private about his failures and shortcomings. In June 2014, Cameron graduated from Brookfield High School, after repeating the 12th grade. In September 2014, he started a mechanical engineering program at Algonquin College and would often talk about which courses he liked and how much he enjoyed them. Only, Cameron stopped attending his classes, but didn't mention this to his parents. Merrill would pack him a lunch every day and Cameron would go to campus where he would play pool or use the college Wi-Fi since there were restrictions on his internet and TV habits at home. Neighbors described the family as friendly, but discreet. Ehab Zahuk said Merrill was an avid gardener and that they were concerned about Cameron's future and were thinking of how to get him into post-secondary school. They had asked Zahuk about methods of teaching computer-assisted design on programs like AutoCAD, 
which is something Zahuk knows quite a bit about. Zahuk knew that Cameron had some struggles in school and had gotten tutors over the years, but had never discussed it openly. He described Cameron as a loner, who would often be seen outside kicking a soccer ball or riding his bike by himself. On Halloween in 2015, he dressed up in full costume to scare kids and hand out candy at the family's home. On November 4, 2016, at a family's birthday party for Cameron's 22nd birthday, Merrill gave him a beer and said, Just one. Then, on November 28, 2016, at 9.15 p.m. That's why I'm on one. Uh, hello? Hello. Um, I would like to confess to a murder. Okay. Well, so where are you? I actually, um, 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 I'm on a street, mm-hmm. um, um, in Montreal. Um, um, I don't know where that street is. Well, you need, you need to know if you want me to send somebody. Yeah, that's true. That's true, eh? Um, well, uh, uh, I'm near a parking garage. Okay, you need to be more specific. I need an address or intersection. And, uh, who, who did you kill? Uh, my mom and dad. Okay. What do they, uh, what do they live? They live in Ottawa. They live in Ottawa? Yes, sir. Okay. Do you have an address? 1614 Appledorn. That's... Hey, what's your name? My name is Cameron. Cameron. Cameron Rogers. How old are you? I'm 20, 22. 22. Mm. Uh, oh, here, here's the street. I'm Ontario mm-hmm. and Savoie. Okay. Are you going to stay on the corner? Yes, sir. Okay, I okay. will stay on so the what, corner. What are you wearing, uh, the, the clothing? Uh, I'm wearing an orange um, puffy coat and orange mitts with jeans. Okay, so an uh, orange coat and you're 22. Okay. Yes, uh, and I have a hoodie on. Cameron's uncle, Graham Gleddy, would later testify in court that, quote, that is not how Cameron normally talks, end quote. He said that he described Cameron as usually speaking confidently. Also, on a side note, the 911 operator. He probably found the call to sound initially like a prank. We are not usually that blasé about murder here in Canada. Cameron was brought in by Montreal officer Jeffrey St. Ange, Ottawa police took over the investigation after discovering the bodies of Merrill and Dave Rogers behind a shed in the backyard of their Ottawa home. Merrill under a tarp, and Dave left half-shoved into an open suitcase. Cameron was questioned by one very polite homicide investigator, Detective Teresa Kelm. She checks to make sure he's warm enough, has had water, something to eat, She says she will check if she can get him some toilet paper for his cell, which seems to be Cameron's main concern at the moment, and make sure that she very clearly reads him his rights. Do you understand that you're under arrest right now? Mm -hmm. Okay. And what do you believe you're under arrest for? Killing my parents. Okay. So that's called, it's first degree murder. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, Cameron, how old are you? I'm 22. You're 22. Okay. And what have, are you in school? I, I, I was in school. Okay, what were you studying? Uh, Electromechanical Engineering Technology. Oh, uh, Electromechanical 
engineering robotics technician. Wow. And how long have you been studying that? Um, I was in that for the first year this year, but I came out of another one from the, like for the past two years I was in uh, uh, um, I was in mechanical engineering technol technology, but then I changed okay. for this year into the first one I mentioned. Good, good. And what, what were your plans? What did you want to do with that degree? I didn't want that degree. Then Cameron tells Teresa how hard life with his parents was. Oh, you didn't? No. So why were you taking it? Because my parents told, told me to take it. Okay. And um, why were they so keen on you taking that? Mm -hmm. uh, um, half of the problem was probably uh, because I didn't say anything else. Like I didn't like. I mean, I I didn't say another plan for okay. the, the you know like. I think. Does that okay, make sense? so you didn't have a plan, so therefore they gave you a plan. Yeah. Other than schooling, what were you doing? Tired? Yeah. Am I boring no. you already? No, nothing else. <laughs> I wasn't doing anything else. Okay, all right. What did you do when you weren't in school? Um, just, uh, if I wasn't in class, I was studying, and if I wasn't studying, then I was at home helping around the house. Good. Good. Mostly, yeah. Yeah, okay. I understand you were adopted, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. And how, how was that? How did that go with your parents? It went well. It went well? Yeah, good. Good. Okay. Now, who's the closest person to you, would you say? Mm, my dad. Your dad? Yeah. Okay. So what's been going on in your life then? How have things been going for you? Like, in what way? In what way? Like, were you happy with the way things were going? Or? Uh, I, I don't know if I was happy with how I was going with school because I was doing a pro a program that I didn't like. Right. Yeah. I and understand. and and also, um, I wasn't really being able to get a job because my parents would insist that uh, I would have to work for them. For them. Yeah. And what what do you mean by that? Like around the house. Okay. Okay. And how'd that make you feel? Not good. Not good. Yeah. So they they didn't want you to go get a job outside the house. So they just wanted you working at the house. Yeah, and okay. I wouldn't actually get money because they would just say that they'd owe me money. So I actually didn't have any money. Oh, that must have been hard. Yeah. So how did you manage then? Like, if you wanted to go out or if you wanted to do something? Uh, well, uh, if I would want to use money, they would have to approve of it. Okay. Alright, what kind of work were you doing around the house? Gardening and stuff involving around the garden okay. or chores. Yeah, yeah, okay. If you're still waiting for the hard part of his life, um, that was it. Studying for a free degree he didn't want because he didn't have any other plans and working around the house rather than getting a job for pocket money. Detective Kelm, like myself, is quite interested in the events leading up to the killing of his parents and asks him a few times to try and tell her why what led up to it, why that day, and Cameron never really answers more thoughtfully than this. When you talk about how the closest person to you is your father, that tells me that there's, there's a reason why this happened, okay? And we want to understand 
why that happened. Okay, like what what set you off? I know there was a lot of pressure going on. Like there was your the schooling, you know, having to do work at home, not being able to get any money. Something something triggered you to go off, and it seems like something that's not you because you've never had any dealings with the police. So it doesn't happen very often that you have someone like you that's not had any dealings with the police, and boom, here you are. Well, I'm not saying it's not my parents' fault, but I'm I'm not saying it's not my fault. I mean, right. I mean, I shouldn't have done it, which is obvious. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I don't like, I don't want to place the blame so like I can't really say that like my parents were putting pressure but they were but I mean that's no account for you know doing the deed Mm -hmm. I don't know I mean other than no money and having to do go into a program for three years I didn't want to go into um, I, I, I don't know like what else there would be mm-hmm. like, I can't think of anything what else was missing do you find in your your life that you could attribute to well I, I might have felt or I might have thought at the time that I was lonely, but then mm-hmm. after I killed them, I didn't really feel lonely. Well, I felt more lonely because, anyway, it's yeah. irrelevant, but I mean, mm-hmm. realized that it was the wrong choice, but anyway. Yeah. yeah. What did you feel you had accomplished by, by killing them? Mm, nothing. Nothing, eh? Okay. And what, what caused you to, to just do this? I don't know. It was, it was, like, like it was, I guess, the spur of the moment. Like it was, it just, like I, I it was just, I, I don't know what made me do it. It was just, like, I, I, I don't even know why I did it. Even that, that I think back to it now, I don't even know why I chose to do it. You'll notice that Cameron is talking with a lot of stuttering and sounds like he struggles with his cognitive function, which he kind of does. However, he will later tell Kelm that he only has slight autism and was doing well in school. If you listen very closely, you will hear moments when he speaks more confidently, and you'll also notice his vocabulary is quite good. He can articulate himself quite well when he wants to. How did you do it? It was uh, involving uh, one or two knives and and, and a stick. And a stick, okay. And where did you kill them? In our kitchen. In your kitchen, okay. All right. And um, what was going on right before you killed them? I was chopping melon. Just chopping a melon as you do when you suddenly stab your mom. I'm sure we've all been there. You know how it is. And where were your parents in relation to you at that point? Uh, My mom was doing something else in the kitchen. Okay. And my dad was somewhere else in the house. Okay. And then what happened? Do you remember what day of the week this was that this happened to your parents? 
Sunday. It was a Sunday at about what time was that? 11. In the morning or at night? In the morning. In the morning. Okay. Alright, now I understand there was supposed to be some birthday party or there was some dinner that they were supposed to go to? Yeah. Okay, now when was that? Sunday. The Sunday. Okay. And um, did somebody call you to find out where they were? Yes. Okay, who called? Graham, I think. Okay, alright. And what did you... I was scared, so I said that they had the flu. Okay, alright. And um, was there... what were the plans that day? The plans was to um, do some studying and then go to the restaurant for the party. For the party, okay. Right. And your mom, you said she's in the kitchen? Mm -hmm. Okay. And where was your dad? He was somewhere else and I said, I don't know exactly. Okay. Can you just explain to me how your dad, did they both, did it both happen in the kitchen? Okay. How does your dad end up in the kitchen? Well, um, when I did my mom, he came running and then I did him. Okay. And um, how long did it take? What do you mean? Like before your mom, like how long did you? Well, my dad didn't take very long, but my mom took a long time. Okay. And, and, and it was really hard because she was in pain and, and I wanted it to stop. <laughs> and I couldn't make it stop. And then I felt real bad because Why is it then, after, when you realized she was in pain, why didn't you call 911? Well, I knew it was too late. Okay. And what do you mean by it was too late? The wounds were too bad. Okay. That never gets any easier to listen to. I don't understand how he could listen to that and not call someone for help. If she was moaning, it might not have been too late she probably could have survived. I, I guess we're never going to know. But it just goes to show that Cameron wanted them dead. Not to just hurt them, but dead. How soon after did you, did you, did you kill your dad? What do you mean how soon after? Well, after you, your mom? Yeah. yeah. He came running and then running. That's, that's when it happened. Okay, what did he say when he came in? Well, he was scared for her. Right, yeah. Yeah, and, and then it was quicker Okay. him. Okay. Now, you talked about a stick. Yeah. Who did you use the stick on? I think it was both. On both? And what part of the bodies did you hit them with? I think Sorry, it was what? the head. The head? Okay. Yeah. Right. The stick broke. The stick broke on who? 
don't remember exactly. Okay. What caused you to, to, to do that? Like, it was something said or no. done or... No, it was literally just a spur of the moment. I, I don't even know. Like, I, I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, it was took me 50 minutes of going back and forth about to do it and then not to do it. 50 minutes to make a million other choices. What was causing you to want to do it? Why is it you're thinking you wanted to do it? I don't remember. Okay. How did they get to the outside? I, I, I put them there. Okay. And when did you put them there? Um, after they died. Okay. I, I, I didn't want, like, I was, I, I, I didn't want, like, their, my mom's brothers or any friends to come and see them like that. Okay, well that was that was good of you. Clearly you were concerned for them, for the family members not seeing them, eh? Okay, and how did you get them out to the back? I had to, uh, uh, well I, I, I dragged my mom in a tarp. Okay. And then I put my dad in a suitcase okay. and then pulled him out. Okay, and how'd you get him in a suitcase? Well, I sort of rolled him into it. Okay. All right. Did he? Did you have to do anything to get him into the suitcase? Or? Well, it wasn't like a perfect fit. Like I didn't like make him like fit. Yeah, it's not like he chopped him up or anything. What's the big deal? All right. And how long did you remain in the house after the? A week. A week. Okay. And where were they for that one week? Well, um. For a day, they were wherever they got killed. Okay. And then uh, after that, um, was spent taking them out to the backyard and then cleaning up a little bit. Okay. So it wasn't, you know, blood all over the place. Um, I, like, the, what I was mostly going to run away mm-hmm. from Ottawa. Okay. Um, I was hoping to go to the U.S., but since that didn't work out, I got stuck in Montreal. And how come you weren't able to get into the U.S.? Well, you need some kind of, like, um, visa. I see. You know, I didn't have that, so I'd have to lie, and that, that just wouldn't work. Yes, lying is bad. Much better to stuff your parents into recycling bins and hope that no one notices. I guess this is one thing I'm just trying to understand. So you're cutting melons, and what was your mom doing? She was like uh, doing something, some kind of herb thing. I don't know what it was. It was just she was grinding herbs or something. Okay. And how was that morning? This was around eleven o'clock. So what was going on that morning in the house? I don't know. I mean, like. What was... Did you have an argument with the parents, or...? Well, I mean, the whole upstanding, or not upstanding, the whole, the whole, like, disagreement, disagreement about school and work and all that was just hanging over mm-hmm. me, and I mean, I guess, like, I mean, we've had arguments before. Okay. And 
heated yelly ones and I guess just at that time when the cloud broke I was chopping a melon. Okay and what were you arguing about that day like while you were chopping the melon? I, I don't know if I was arguing at that time I was not arguing. Okay. All right. No no. Okay. But I, maybe like a day or two before we had been arguing okay and what, about this those those issues okay and anything in particular so you're talking about school about the work, work issue and what was your mom like when she argued with you about it well i i didn't have a say okay and so you're you're chopping the melon and is that the knife that was used i think so okay i think so Actually, wait, I didn't stab her first. I used the stick first. You used the stick? Okay. Yeah. And where did you get the stick? I made it. Oh, okay. When did you make it? Um, a while back. Okay. And when you say made it, how would you, how do you make I, it? I carved it. Oh, cool. Okay. And for what purpose? Just to do. Okay. I had a lot of time on my hands in the summer. Okay. And what did you, were you going to use that stick for? I don't know. There was no plan when, when, when I made it. Okay. Okay. And uh, where were you keeping that stick? In the garage. In the garage. Okay. So how does it end up being in the kitchen that day? Listen to how he talks about the stick he carved and then used to smack his parents in the head with. It's like he gets excited to talk about his handiwork. I don't know, I was planning, like I mean, during those 50 minutes of, 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 of going back and forth, one of those times I, I thought of using the stick. Okay, on? My mom. Okay, to do what? I don't know. Okay. Do, do I really have to say it? No, I'm just, I'm just trying to understand it. I'm just, I was a little confused as to how the stick was... Um, in the kitchen, but I understand, so it was in the garage because you were kind of thinking you were back and forth. After waiting overnight for his mom to finally die, he spent a week living in his room and coming out only to get food and to go to the bathroom and then dumped the contents of her purse onto her bed, grabbed what cash she had and cash from his dad's wallet, a total of $140. He drove his mom's van to the train station and took a train bound for New York. And how were you doing in school, in high school? Well... You were doing well? Yeah, what yeah. type of marks were you getting? Um, higher, like not A's, but... Well, some some were A's, but in, in the B's. Okay. Oh, good for you. Good. Were you in the regular program? Like, when you say that... Like, just a regular, like, was it a, in a special needs class? I or? was part of the special needs, um, okay. but um, I didn't like it, so I went to the... the, the like the normal ones. Oh, okay. All right. And what was the special needs? Why were you in the special needs? Because I have a uh, slight autism. Okay. All right. And how does that affect you? Well, when I'm not on the meds, I have bad coordination. But when I am on the meds, I don't have bad coordination. Okay. All right. And how do you react when you're not on the meds? I, I know you've got the bad coordination. Anything else? No. Okay. And how does your um, mind feel when you're not on the meds? Fine. And when you're on the meds? Fine. Okay, all right, okay. Um, anything else, diagnosed with anything else? Uh, well, I have sleep apnea. Oh, okay. 
but it's not really that bad. Right. And um, how bad is it? You said it's not bad, but how bad is it? Like I just maybe snore a oh, little bit. Snore? Maybe. Okay. I don't know, since I don't really. All right. Do you sleep? Are you a good sleeper? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Have you been diagnosed with anything else, whether it be uh, your mental well-being? Nothing. No. Physically. Anything so physically your health is good? What were you thinking when you were doing this to them? No, like, like when I was moving them? No, when you were actually stabbing them and hitting them. I wasn't, I don't remember exactly what I was thinking, but I don't think I was thinking anything. Maybe it was just adre adrenaline or something. Okay. Or just but Were scared you feeling um, angry? Were you feeling... I don't think I was feeling angry. Maybe, no, actually, I don't think I was feeling actually any anger. Yeah, okay. Which sounds actually really bad. Mm-hmm. But, but I mean like, so I, mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know how to explain it. It was like, like I, I think maybe at the beginning I was angry, but then doing the, the 50 minutes of about to do it and then not doing it. And then, like, I mean, like, when I say not doing it, I mean, like, chickening out. I, I guess what I'm trying to understand is, I know there was no real argument that day. It was a cumulative effect, right, of the, the stress that you were going on with regards to work and uh, you're nodding a school and, you know, having to do chores around the house. So why why did that why did that happen on the Sunday then like what is it that said I don't know why it happened on the Sunday I, I don't know and you don't recall the last argument you had with them no right. okay I also have a bad memory but anyway. well yeah okay you seem to provided pretty good memories with everything oh, but with okay. regards to what happened so uh, mm. I think I have a good understanding okay but mm. why why is it then that you decided to talk to me because I, 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 I did something bad and I want to, you know, be honest about it and, you know, feel that I should, you know, get, you know, in trouble, you know, more, like, finish this oh, trouble. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay. You know, like, I see. And how do you feel now that you've come out and told us about it? Well, I feel slightly better, but I mean, it's not over yet. No, it's not. No, it wasn't over for Cameron. In December 2018, he went to trial and was charged with two counts of first-degree murder. He tried pleading guilty to manslaughter, but Justice Kevin Phillips rejected his plea. So then, after the prosecution gave their evidence, which included his recorded confession and 911 call, he claimed his father had been sexually abusing him for years. That sent the trial into a bit of a tailspin, and because it required the prosecution to then go back and basically start their job all over again, the trial was expected to suddenly go well into overtime. Three jurors, as a result, had to be dismissed because they were unable to continue to serve for such a long time, and Justice Phillips had to declare a mistrial, which would mean starting the full process, at taxpayers' expense, all over again. Thanks, Cameron. Then Cameron decided to recant his allegations of abuse, thankfully sparing the tarnished memory of Dave Rogers. He admitted that he had lied about the abuse, hoping that the jury would find he had acted in self-defense. On December 19, 2018, Cameron pled guilty to two counts of second-degree murder, 
24 victim impact statements were read by family members and friends. Graham Gleddy, one of Meryl's brothers and the most outspoken in her family, said in his statement that his sister Meryl and Dave were over the moon when they adopted Cameron. He said they were gentle, kind, and highly principled, and added that Cameron had none of those attributes. Graham also said that he phoned the house on November 20, 2016. Quote, I spoke to Cameron when he was in the middle of killing my sister. Meryl was still alive. She was moaning on the floor of the kitchen. He had gouged out her right eye. She had multiple stab wounds and was in great pain moaning on the ground. This is a horrible family tragedy. We never expected to find ourselves in such a situation. Stephen Gleddy, one of Meryl's other brothers, addressed Cameron and said, quote, I won't turn my back on you, Cameron. I will find a way to forgive you, end quote. Graham told the reporters outside the courtroom, What he did was heartless, and I fear for the day he is released. I do. Justice Phillips asked Cameron if he had anything to say before being sentenced. He just shook his head and said no. His defense lawyer, Joseph Adelman, said, Cameron is autistic. He has a communication disorder. In moments of high pressure, we hear in the evidence in this trial that it's difficult for him to communicate, especially under pressure. So I think it's asking a lot of a man who's been sentenced to 20 years of parole ineligibility to make comments in front of everybody who was there today, in front of the community. I can understand why he declined to make any comment today. Now, here's where I go off on one of my little rants. And just so you know, I don't take random facts from the internet. I try very hard to actually read peer-reviewed studies when I spout my opinions on these kinds of things. In 2011, Dr. Michael Fitzgerald of the Trinity College in Dublin wrote a paper looking at both autism spectrum disorder and Asperger's syndrome with regards to psychopathic behaviors. This paper combined autistic disorder with Asperger's when he explored the correlation between the disorder and serious criminal behavior and concluded that people on the spectrum were likely to exhibit psychopathic behavior and commit antisocial criminal activities. And because he's a doctor and so-called expert on psychiatric disorders, a lot of people take that as fact. So doctors Zoltan Boka and Faith Lieben from Pennsylvania examined his paper and the studies that he'd cited and found a few issues. Number one, he uses the words Asperger's and autism interchangeably. They are in fact two different disorders. Although they are in a single category, they are still separated. Number two, he does not define serious criminal activity. Number three, he doesn't discuss any behavioral distinctions between psychopathy and autism spectrum, or comorbidities of the two, or behaviors that might overlap, or how criminal activities between the two groups differ. Four, his studies on Asperger's were from work done in 1944. There's a lot of problems, but the big issue that I'm trying to get to is that people assume that people on the spectrum and with Asperger's don't have empathy. No ability to understand or read social cues and a callousness towards people's feelings. But what has been found is in fact a big distinction between psychopaths and the spectrum, and that is that psychopaths have problems resonating with others' emotions. Psychopaths do have an intellectual form of empathy, 
where they're very good at reading the emotional state of others in order to better manipulate them. However, psychopaths have no ability to authentically, emotionally empathize with any others. As convicted killer Jack Abbott had said, quote, I can imagine I feel these emotions, but I do not, end quote. Whereas people on the spectrum and with Asperger's desire bonding, but have cognitive perception-taking disabilities, but they can make progress when a cognitive behavioral program is in place and get better at reading the emotions of others. Now, to be fair, they did find that there is a small number of people with Asperger's that had committed violent crimes. They looked at 37 cases. 11 had a definite psychiatric condition that was comorbid with Asperger's. 20 had probable psychiatric conditions and six of them where they could not link a comorbid psychiatric condition. Generally, Asperger's and autism spectrum disorders where violent behavior is seen are associated with shoving, pushing, and throwing objects. Not stabbing your mom with a kitchen knife and whacking her in the face with a stick and waiting in your room for her to stop moaning so that you can drag her into the backyard on a tarp and catch a train to Montreal to start a new life. I'm just saying. Lead homicide detective Chris Benson said that, quote, the fact that Cameron is on the autism spectrum, I don't believe played a role in any of this. There are several people in society that fall at various points on the spectrum. They're not subject to become murderers and double murderers. I think the fact that he lied and made these allegations against his father shows me some of his character, shows me some selfishness on his part, shows some willingness to try to get away with this. The family, police, and the community will always question why he did it. Justice Kevin Phillips apparently agreed with us and suggested to him that there was something deeply wrong with him and told him, quote, you're going away for a long time, end quote. He was sentenced to life in prison with no parole eligibility for 20 years. And that was the murder of Meryl Gleddy and Dave Rogers by their adopted son, Cameron. I'm going to be back next week with another case. I hope you guys have a great week, and thanks so much for listening.